God's plan, what makes the church different, church services different from social societies and classrooms that will meet tomorrow in college and in high school and elementary school, is they're imparting information. What God intends to happen here this morning is supernatural. It's through the sharing of the word and the listening of the word is for the spirit of God to deposit things in us. Life, words of life, and that allows the Holy Spirit to change us. And I share that with you because I want to prepare you so that you can be tuned in to listen for what God's saying to you. Whenever I go to church, especially even when I'm preaching, but mostly when I'm going listening to other ministers, I want to hear what God has to say to me. Not what I want him to say, not what I want to say to him, although there's time for that, but what he has to say to me. And God wants to speak to the church. And we know God speaks to churches because Jesus, in the book of Revelation, when he told the apostle John to write letters to the seven churches, he said at the end, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And there was something different said to each of those churches. So God's Spirit says something to specific churches. And he's speaking to Faith Christian Center. And Faith Christian Center is not these walls, it's not this floor, it's not this beautiful building that God's given us, it's you and me. We are, we are, the, we are the, the church. We are the body of Christ, the part of it that's assigned here at Faith Christian Center. And God wants to breathe into us today. The Spirit of God wants to breathe words of life into us. We've been looking, we started this study, we're talking about examining the foundation of our life so that we can be certain that the foundation of our life is a sure foundation. And that's the title of this series. And it's designed to lay a foundation for something else that we'll begin to talk about very soon. We started in Hebrews chapter 12, and we saw that at the end of that chapter, that the writer of Hebrews said that there's coming a day when God's going to shake everything that can be shaken, to separate that which can be shaken from that which cannot be shaken. And there's, there's a shaking going on right now, whether it's the ultimate shaking God's going to bring about, I don't know, but there is a shaking. And the purpose of that shaking, the writer of Hebrews says, is to separate out of our lives those things which are of the kingdom of God from those things which are not of the kingdom of God. In the course of life, once we're born again, because we don't live at the top of a mountain in a monastery separated from the world, we're out in the world, we live in the world, we function in the world, we have relationships with people, our neighbors, family, and out of all these we pick up ideas, thoughts, attitudes, practices. We were trained as a child to depend on certain things and not depend on other things. And you right now, your life is the collection of those things, and, and it's what you are ultimately trusting in for your safety, your welfare, for your, what you're ultimately trusting in out of all those things in your life, that's what your foundation is. And the Bible says that there's coming a time when those are going to get shaken. And I believe that God shakes them not just at the end times, but there are times He will allow a shaking in our life so that we can see the things we trusted in from the things which He are not trusting in. We can see what we're trusting that is uh, that of God and what we're trusting in that's not of God because when things shake, only the things that are of God remain. We use the example of, of, of beating a rug to get the dust out. And when you hit that rug, what it is, you're shaking that rug, but it separates. The shaking is what separates the dust that was in the fibers, but they're not part of the fibers. Separating that out from what's purely rug fibers 
And that's what the purpose of a shaking is, whether it's in a nation, whether it's in a community, whether it's in a church, or whether it's in our lives. Because we can build our lives trusting in people. We can build our lives trusting in various things. Back in the 80s, there was a time when there was a revelation over a very short period of time of some major, the heads of some major ministries that were discovered to be in, 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 in sinful relationships. And, and many Christians just quit church. Many Christians just quit on God because this guy they looked at on TV and they watched to and they gave their money to, not, and it's not that everybody's like that, but, but when that person fell and they fell too, that meant their trust was in that person, not in God. So that was a shaking. The church went through a shaking then. A re-examination of what's my trust in. We saw in 2 Corinthians 13.5 where Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, you need to check yourself to see whether you really are in faith or not. And the purpose of this is to really examine what is the foundation of my life. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit to begin to shine, go into the basements of your life and begin to check out the foundation of your life. What is it like? And I shared with you the story of my grandfather who who when he was planning for his retirement bought up some property on the Jersey Shore, literally at the beach. Because you step from his house, from that lot out onto the beach. Beautiful place. And he built his house there. And it was a permanent house. It wasn't just a summer cottage. And all around him there were other people that had built houses. And there was, he was one of the first down there. And they were pouring concrete slabs and then putting their, the, the foundation, they're putting this, the, the um, framework on that concrete slab. My grandfather had more foresight than that. He had them build a concrete slab, but before that he had them sink telephone poles down into the sand, down into the bedrock. And then he had them bolt the framework of the house to, that, to those pilings, not resting, is resting on the, on the slab, but the trust was in the pilings. And I shared with you the vivid example of waking, when I woke up one November morning and discovered that this house was surrounded by the ocean. A hurricane had hit, and I watched houses washed out into the sea. I sat there and watched the tops of houses float by with telephone poles attached to them by wires. And this house stood safe and secure. Why? Because it wasn't founded on the sand. It was founded on something more solid. Did you find Matthew 7 yet? All right. We're going to pick up here. We're going to pick up here with verse 21. Excuse me, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be likened to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. Very simply summarized as this. Same contractor, same lumberyard, same design, same house. One lasts a storm through a storm and the other's washed away. Because the only difference is what they were built on, what their foundation rested on. And Jesus is saying here, he who hears my sayings and then does them, will be the man who built his house on the rock. And we looked at some verses earlier and saw that what he's talking about here is not just whether I obey what he says, because you can obey what he says for the wrong reasons. 
little story of a little boy I heard years ago. This goes way back, and it's just a fictional story, but I'm sure it, it may even apply to some of us in here. Father brought his son into church, and it was a church that had pews, wooden pews. And during the service, the, there's a time for them to sit down and listen, and the boy would stand up. He was about five years old. And the father said to the son, sit down, son. And the son just stood there. He said, son, sit down. And the father's getting embarrassed now. Yeah, son, sit down, please, sit down. The son just stands there. I said, sit down. I stand there. So his father takes his hand on the young boy's shoulder and said, I said, sit down. And he forces him to sit down. And the little boy turns and looks at his father and says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> so just because we do what he says isn't it? Because in the verses before, he talks about lawlessness. And lawlessness is when I decide what I'm going to do because I decide I'm going to do it, not because he's my Lord and I'm doing it out of love and obedience to him. And that's the only sure foundation, is when his word is the authority in my life. So whether I like it or don't like it, there were some things I had to do this week I didn't want to do, there was some thing, but, but I knew it was what the Word of God said to do. It didn't make me comfortable, but it's what the Word of God said to do. And when I do it because the Word of God says to do it, that I'm establishing that Word as a foundation in my life. We began last week to look at other foundations that we're tempted to build in our lives. Because, I wanna, because I, we, we need to look, we're looking at and examining our lives to see what it is I have built in there. And so we'll begin to look at some of the things that we've built into our lives, that, that, that we can build in our lives, that are, that are not a sure foundation. And, and we all deal with these, and they're kind of all can blend together, but I want to talk about several of them. The first thing we looked at, and we're not going to go there, we looked at our senses. We base things on what we see or what we feel. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, For we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. This is, again, that separating of what's in our life that's eternal, what's in our life that's of the kingdom of God, and what's in our life that's of this world. And things that we build into our lives and that are of our senses are not of this world. Now, we learned last week that you've got to be, know where that distinctive line is because when you're functioning in the natural affairs of life, like going to work, like driving home after a service today, you better operate by your senses. Because if you don't pay attention to those cars on 195, when you pull out, your senses will get an awakening. Your foundation will get shaken. But it's when it comes to the things of God. When your senses, when the Word of God says one thing and your senses say something else, which are you going to be governed by? And it's not just our senses of what we see and hear, it's also our emotions. One of the biggest weaknesses I feel that, we, that Christians have today is we're governed by our emotions. When I feel good, I praise God. When I don't feel good, I don't praise God. Everything's going right, when everything's going right and I feel happy, you know, then I'm just, I'm in church. But when I don't, I don't feel like coming. And I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But when I don't feel right, I don't come. I don't feel like coming. The study that I quoted to you earlier about 94% of the young people that come through 
teen church don't stay in church. That same group did a study, and they discovered that today, 62% of Christians, I mean, Bible-toting, word-talking Christians that say they're committed to church, what they mean by that is twice a month. Why? Because I go when I feel like it. I go when I don't feel like it. I pray when I feel like it. If I don't feel like praying, if I don't feel like I can, I don't, I don't pray. And I taught on Wednesday night about that because when you don't feel like praying is when you need to pray the most. The point is this. We build our lives on what we see and what we feel and what way things look to us. And understand that, that the Bible tells us that Satan is the god of this world. He's in charge of the elements of this world. They may call those storms acts of God, but that's not what they are. He's the God of this world. And when we build our lives on our sensations and our emotions and our natural senses, then we're building the foundation of our life on a kingdom that's controlled by Satan, not God. We're going to look a little more at that this morning. Then the second thing we looked at is when we build our life based on, 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 on our, own, our, our own reasonings about things. And we'll look a little more at that today. And the third thing we looked at last time and what we ended with is traditions. Traditions, you know, we don't have traditions in this church. Oh, of course we do. You sit in the seats you sit in by tradition. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with some traditions because it's another term for habit. And there's some habits that are good. I have a habit of getting up in the morning and reading my Bible and praying. It's a habit. Whether I feel like it or not, all, I'm, I'm, I, because it's a habit, I just get do it. With, I don't even think about it. I just do it. And so that's a good habit to build in your life. But a tradition is something man has decided is going to get us closer to God. And we saw that Jesus talking to the Pharisees who were outwardly godly men, and I believe some of them were even sincere, but Jesus says, your traditions... Your traditions. See, tradition is when we take something of God and we add our own ideas to it. Many moves of God have been ruined because man figured out where God was going with that move of God. I'll give you an example. Because we're human, this is what we're kind of built like. Is, you know, if we had some, if we had sang a particular song today, and as we sang that song, the glory cloud rolled in the back of the sanctuary and rolled up here, and we all fell out in the spirit. And when we got up, everybody was speaking in tongues. Everybody was healed. I mean, we just had things bouncing off the walls. Next Sunday, we're going to be inclined to sing that same song again. Because we'll figure out that's what made it work. Traditions, and Jesus said, the traditions of man make the word of God of no effect. Not it reduces the effect of God. It makes the word of God of no effect. Why? Because the moment I take God's word and I add anything of mine to it, it's no longer God's word. It's now my using God's word for my purposes. All right, we're going to pick up today and we're going to look at some others. And again, they're very closely related. So it's our senses, our reasoning, the traditions of men. The fourth thing I'm going to call two ditches, D-I-T-C-H-E-S. And here's what I mean by that. 
if you've ever driven on a country road where there's no shoulder, you ever drive somewhere that says no shoulders? Out in Oklahoma where we live, they, it was very common to have, when you got outside of the city, to have roads with no shoulders. And when they had no shoulders, I mean it dropped off. And when it dropped off, it dropped off. Some of the places in the south are like that. And, and so as long as you're on the road, you're okay. But if you take your eyes off the road for long, or if you just kind of, you know, let go of the wheel a little bit, your car, if it's the wheels are not in perfect alignment, will begin to drift to the right or to the left. And if it drifts far enough, you're going to end up in a ditch. So what I mean by a ditch is an extreme to either one side or the other, but whichever one it is, it doesn't matter because it takes you off the road, and the road's the only thing that's going to get you to the end result. So in our walk with God, in our, in our establishing or making sure we have the right foundations in our life, there's two types of error that we can fall into. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm talking now about Christians and how it's very easy to be established today and in the course of this week, Drift. When they design a new car and when they manufacture that new car, the engineers have designed the alignment of the wheels. And it's my understanding is aligned both this way and this way. They've aligned the wheels so that if on a road you ought to be able to take your hands off and it will track straight. The problem is after a little while of driving those, that car in New England in a winter, and those tires have met something called a pothole, or maybe when you turned the corner, you kind of got into the curb a little too much, and you, in the course of that, those little bumps and those little potholes or big ones, the wheels get moved out of the alignment that the engineers and the manufacturer intended for it. And now what happens is that car has a tendency to drift in that direction. Now, the wonderful thing about power steering is it's not hard to keep it on track. Of course, it's costing you on your tires. But the point is you have to be much more careful because if you know your wheels are drift, if your car is drifting, you've got to be very focused now to know that you've got to pay attention, which we should be doing anyway. And so in the course of life, even though you may have things founded on the right foundation today, in the course of life, if you get distracted because we're living flesh that has a bent to the right or to the left, the flesh you live in, that's what Paul writes in, second, in Romans 7. He says, the very things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I determine not to do are the very things I go right out and do. Anybody ever be able to identify with that? That's called your flesh. You got saved, but your flesh didn't. It still wants to do, and the more you tell it not to do it, the more it wants to do. The more you make it sit down on the outside, the more it wants to stand up on the inside. And so because we're living in this flesh that's already out of alignment, there's going to be a tendency, even though we may be establishing the right foundation, that in the course of bumps of life, we begin to drift off. So we need to be conscious of these two ditches, these two extremes. All right. First Corinthians chapter one. Verse seventeen. 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what he's saying here is the cross has no effect on those who are perishing. Jesus died to redeem us from sin and from the power of Satan. And that cross has infinitely great power to do that. But to those who are trusting in the wrong things, it has no power. To those who are perishing, eternally perishing, that cross has no power, even though it does have power, but to them it has no power. That's like having bought a brand new television set with all the gizmos, gimmicks, and all the things that come on them. This big flat screen TV, you know. You get it home and you set it up on your wall or wherever you set it up. You get the remote out. It's not working. So you pick up your phone or you get out the instructions, which you do do, don't you? You don't know what to do. And you read the instructions and there's a troubleshooting section. And the first thing says, there's, there's no picture. And it's the first thing it says on there, dummy, did you plug it in? Oh, let me go check. And you go look and you say, well, I thought you plugged it in. And they say, well, I thought you plugged it in. It's not plugged into the wall. It's no great mystery why there's no picture. It's not connected to the power. The power's there to run that TV set. The power's there to run your air conditioner. The power's there to run your microwave. The power's in the wall, but if it's not plugged into the power, the power's not going to do it any good. The power's there to save and redeem from sin and from destruction. The power's there on the cross to do all that God ever intended to do, but there's many that don't receive the benefit of that power. It's of no effect to them. All right. Because Paul says, to them the cross is foolishness. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Verse 20, where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? This is what I want to look at, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not come to know God... It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So Paul is writing this this letter to a church at Corinth, which is in the southern part of Greece. The Greeks put all their trust in, all their confidence in, wisdom, human wisdom. They're the source of most of the basic philosophies that we still have taught as philosophies today. The more modern ones, they're still based on some of the basic fundamental philosophical principles of Aristotle and Plato and some of these great minds that Greece produced. And to them, in order to accept something, in order to believe in something, It had to make sense within their system of belief. It had to look wise to them. 
And Paul is saying God chose what looks to them like foolishness as the way to save us. But look at this next verse. And we're going to talk about these in a little bit of more depth. Verse 22. Now the Jews, they're not, they're not the, the Greeks. The Jews, the people that were raised with a covenant of God that God gave to Abraham and then the, the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, they have a knowledge of God through the law. They have a knowledge of God through the covenant of God made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They have some knowledge of God. But notice he's going to talk here about what the Jews are looking for in order to be saved. And then he's going to talk about what the Gentiles or the Greeks are looking for. And when we talk about what they're looking for, we're talking about what the foundation of what they believe is. This is why this is important to us. So what he's saying here is, when I came, the Jews want to build what they believe in on one thing, which is one of the ditches, and the Greeks or the Gentiles, those that have no covenant with God, they want to base their foundation of their relationship with God on something else. And this is what this verse lays out. For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the two ditches we're looking at today is on the one hand, the Jews were saying, in order to believe, in order to be saved, we've got to have some sign, some miracle. Something that we can see that shows God's here, God's moving, that this is of God. And the Greeks were saying, in order to go in this direction, in order to trust in what you're talking about, it has to make sense to us. We have to be able to understand it. It has to look wise. It has to look like it's come from people that can think well and are deeply educated because the foundation has to be based on people that have a depth of understanding and then we can trust in it. Well, we want to look at the first one, which is the Jews. And what Paul's saying here, they're both wrong. They're both, neither of them are a solid foundation on which to base our relationship with God and on which to base our life. Now, there's nothing wrong with signs, and there's certainly nothing wrong with wisdom. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying God loves foolishness, so let's just go act foolishly. We don't need God to tell us that. We can do that on our own. No, he's talking about what is the foundation of your relationship with him. The Jews say, I'll only believe this if I see miracles, if I see signs, if I see God come through and, and, and answer my prayers and do things, then I'll believe. And the Greeks were saying, I'll only believe if it makes sense. If it fits in with some system we have an understanding of, then I can accept it. And I suggest to you that all of us are some combination of those two or we drift from one to the other. 
So we're going to look at those this morning, and we're going to attempt to get through them both. But if we don't, that's okay. They're both important, but not as the foundation for our belief. God has chosen to save us through something that looks foolish to the Greeks and does not look like a sign to the Jews. He's chosen something that looks foolish to man, but the power of God is released only by trusting in God's promise. All right, let's look at signs. What is a sign? Well, if you've ever tried to go somewhere and you didn't know how to get there, now nowadays we have GPS and all that stuff, but they post on the road something called a sign. And a sign is to tell you whether you're going the right way or not. So if you've decided, you know, we're going to go to Boston today, and you get out here on 195 and up on 95, and you're going to look for signs that say Boston. Boston 60 miles, Boston 40 miles. But if you see signs that say Boston 60 miles, Boston 80 miles, Boston 90 miles, wait a minute, we're going the wrong way because the signs say we're getting farther away from our destination, not closer to it. So signs are important because they can help tell us that we're in the right direction. They can, they're intended to point us towards something, but listen carefully, they're not that place. Last Saturday, we went with our family up to Boston and we passed a sign for Boston. When we got to there, I didn't pull over to the side of the road and said, oh, kids, let's get out. We're there! We made it! We're here! Oh, let's wrap our arms around the sign because we're in Boston! They think I was crazy. Because the sign's not Boston. The sign just points you to Boston. That sign can't satisfy. If you're trying to find a restaurant because you're hungry, and you find a sign with the name of that restaurant on it, you can get over and try to eat that sign, but it's not going to satisfy you because that sign's not that restaurant. It can't do for you what that restaurant can do. And here's the danger. So there are signs that God gives us, but we start trusting in the sign and worshiping the sign, and therefore I have to have signs, because if I don't have signs, I don't, can't believe. And very subtly, we're putting our trust in the signs and not in the God that they point to and to direct to. So let's look at signs a little bit. Let's look at what is meant by signs. See, when we begin to put our trust in these signs, and by signs I'm talking about anything that's supernatural. God is a supernatural God. Jesus performed miracles. We're going to look at a little bit of that this morning. Jesus performed miracles. And he did that in part, not always, but in part to draw people to him and to reveal something about what God was like. But we're going to see in a minute, they started worshiping what he did and not him. So we're talking about what's our trust in. And the way you know, and this is why I come, the way you know what your trust is in is when it doesn't work. When the storm comes. And then we start getting upset because what we thought ought to happen didn't happen 
So we get upset, either at God or us or the circumstances. Why? Because what we expected didn't happen. And that's a sign often that what I was trusting in was not what God had me to trust in. Again, there's nothing wrong with miracles. God's a God of miracles. There's nothing wrong with believing God for miracles. But the question is, what is my foundation of my life in? Is my life shaken if something doesn't happen the way I think it ought to happen? Or is that an opportunity for me to go back and begin to ask God some questions? Signs. Signs. Well, let's look at what some of these... Let's talk about signs a little bit. The other thing is we start longing for the signs. We start desiring the signs. We start inviting signs to come. And when our trust is in the sign, our faith shifts from God to what we can see. Let me give you an example of what some of these are for Christians. I don't hear a lot about this anymore, but it was very common when we were first saved. But we, we do these things, we just don't call it the same way. There's a story in the Old Testament of Gideon. And there's a, the, the Midianites have come through and they've destroyed the Israelites' crops and they've taken all their, their livestock. And, and, and Gideon is a young boy from the least of the tribes and he's hiding in a wine press. And an angel appears to him and calls him a mighty man of valor and says, you're going to be the one that's going to deliver Israel. And he's kind of in shock, you know, identity shock. Who, me? And so God's called him to be the deliverer. And so he puts God to several tests. And he takes a a, a fleece, which is the hide of a sheep, and he lays it on the ground before he bed, and he gets up and says, if this is God, then when I get up in the morning, then this is going to be wet, and the ground around is going to be dry, or the other way around. And that happened. Then the next morning he got up, and he reversed it. And so what he did is he told the angel, if this is really an angel of God, then prove it by doing this test that I'm giving you. And those are called fleeces. The problem with fleeces, if you, use, if you operate by fleeces, you're likely to get fleeced. He didn't have the Spirit of God inside of him. He didn't have the Word of God. He didn't have the tools we have. So instead, he put his trust in some outward sign that he dictated to the angel to do. And here's the problem with that. When you say, you know, if the phone rings three times in the next half hour, that means God's telling me to take this job, then guess who can ring your bell in three hours, in three times the next hour? Satan can. Or your mother-in-law. But my point is, you're just trusting in things that are not things God uses. Fleeces. Another one that I hear a lot of is dreams. My wife had some wild dream last night, and you know, she's tendency to wake up and try to find some spiritual meaning to it. Most of the time, your dreams are based on what you ate last night. God does use dreams. Now listen carefully. But most of the time, He doesn't. Often, our dreams are involved, our subconscious desires and wills and things that get mixed up. Understand, when you're dreaming, your conscious mind is not in control of what you're thinking. See, when you're sitting here, you can decide what you're going to think and what you're not going to think. But when you're asleep, you don't have control over that. 
So all kinds of things can influence them. God will use dreams. The Bible says he'll use dreams. But the problem is when we then put our trust in the dream. What does this dream mean? This dream has some spiritual significance to me. This dream, I've had people come to me and say, Oh, I had this dream. What is God telling me to do? He's saying, don't eat the pizza before you go to bed. It doesn't mean God's telling you. It's not the primary way by which God speaks to us. And when we open up to that realm, we're opening up, especially when we desire those things, we're inviting things to speak into our lives that are not necessarily of God. We're, the, here the issue is, God may give you a dream and it may be right from the throne room of God and that's wonderful. He will do that at times. It's going to be rare. But he will do that at times. The problem is in when we trust in those things. Just like if we trust in the phone ringing three times in the next half hour to just tell me whether to get this, take this job or not. Those are things that God has not given to us to put our trust in. Because they distract us from trusting ultimately in him. Let's look at a third thing. They're all kind of similar. And, and another one is... People open and close doors. Something that comes out of Revelation where Jesus said, I'll open a door no man can close, and I'll close a door no man can open. That's when he does it. But we'll use open and close doors. You know, this job just opened up for me. I'm just, that must be God's will. I'm going to take it. I've had jobs in my life that the one I wanted, and if I had taken that job, it would have been a disaster. But it looked good. It looked like just what I wanted. So you can't go by just whether the opportunity is open for you or not. Because when we're doing that, we're trusting in circumstances that God may be engineering and He may not be engineering. But the point is this. We have to have our confidence ultimately in God that God can direct our steps. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Not the circumstances around us. So these are examples of signs. Now let's look at what Jesus says about them. Let's go to Matthew 12. I was talking with Pastor Michael about this on Friday, and he mentioned this to me. This just fits right in here. 38, and when some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, now by the way, uh, Teacher, um, we want to see a sign from you. In other words, in order to believe who you are, we want to see some sign from you. And he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Now, if you've been seeking after a sign, that doesn't mean you're evil or adulterous, but he's talking about that generation. And no sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment of this generation and condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, greater than Jonah is here. What's Jesus saying here? He said, you're saying in order to believe, in order to, in order to receive me as the Messiah, you've got to see some sign. And what I'm telling you, he said, 
is that means you're longing after something other than what God's given you. Because that's what adultery is. Adultery is drawing your pleasure, your strength from some other relationship other than the covenant that God gave you. So you're, you're trying to get something that you should be getting from me from some outward sign. And he said, the only sign you're going to be given is the sign of Jonah. And what was that? Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And that represents his death, burial, and resurrection. So what Jesus is saying, the only sign you're going to get is my death, my burial, and my resurrection. So it's only going to be by faith in me that this salvation is going to come. Not by some sign you're going to see that's going to cause you to believe in me. And he says, in the day of judgment, the sons of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment against you. Why? Because they heard the word preached. And listen carefully. They believed because they heard the word, not because they saw a sign. And Nineveh was an ungodly city. And he goes on and talks about the queen of Sheba came. And she believed... She didn't believe because of what she saw Solomon had, because of what she heard he had. So he's talking about these people believed because of what they heard. They believed the word they heard, not the sign they saw. John chapter 6. direction here. Verse 22. Now what's happened before here is Jesus has just fed 5,000 plus out in the middle of a wilderness. They came out to hear the message he talked so he preached too long and there was no time to go for dinner so he just multiplied the fish and the flows and so they've had their tummies filled and then Jesus withdraws up on a mountain the disciples get out on the boat to go to the other side the storm comes Jesus goes walking on the water and gets in the boat and they go to the other side and the storm subsides the the day the new day dawns and they realize he's not there how did he get there so they go to find him we're going to pick up here. That's the background here. So they've just had Jesus feed them from a little boy's lunch, and he's walked on water. Verse 22. On the following day, when the people were standing on the other side of the sea, they saw there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered. And that his disciples had not entered the boat with Jesus, that he'd not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone on alone. However, other boats came by from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and went across to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And he answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now, stop a second. What had happened before is that they had come to him, it says over in verse 15, 
Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed to the, from, to the mountain by himself alone. So after he feeds them miraculously, he re- senses that they're about to come and seize him and make him king. At least they're king. And so he pulls away from them. All right, now he's, they've come to the other side and he's addressing them about this issue. Verse 28. And then they said to him, What shall we do that we may do the works of God? And he answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, that you believe in him whom he sent, whom God sent. That you put your trust in him. Not in the signs, not in the food, but in him. Verse 30, they didn't get it. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? In other words, we'll believe you, but do some sign. Do some miracle, and then we'll believe you based on the miracle. But you see, if you believe him based on the miracle, then the foundation of your belief is the miracle. And if those miracles don't keep coming, then your foundation falters and your belief in him will fall apart. But if your faith is in Him simply because God's Word says this is who He is and God's Word says this is what He's done, that'll never change. That can't be shaken no matter whether the winds blow or howl, no matter whether the world turns upside down, that foundation cannot be shaken. And if your trust in Him is based on God's Word of who God says He is, then that's a solid foundation and a sure foundation. But they had it the other way around. They said, we'll believe in you if you prove to us who you are. And the problem is, if those proofs don't keep coming. See, a proof feeds our flesh. And have you ever discovered flesh is never satisfied? Flesh always has to have more. So if you're relying on the signs and the miracles, you've got to always have them coming and more and bigger ones. So if the foundation of your faith in Christ is the signs He performs in your life, the things He does for you, then that's the wrong foundation. He's got to keep showing you things. And you'll never grow beyond that level of learning to just trust Him. All right. What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? And now they're, they're going to give him a suggestion. They're going to justify this position. They said, Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, God gave our people signs. Every morning there was a sign when they got up. There was manna there. There was food. There was dough that dropped from heaven. And that was a daily sign of God proving to us His faithfulness, His provision. And they want to stay at that level of growth where their trust is in some outward sign. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 32, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. It wasn't Moses that gave it to you. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven 
and gives life to the world. What Jesus is saying there is the manna, the physical fruit, the, the, the physical dough that was dropped as dew in the morning from heaven, that was a sign that was intended to point to me. And you want to worship the sign. And you want other signs when they clearly point to me. Moses didn't put the sign there. God gave you the manna. When, when, Neil Ga- Neil, when Bob Gass was here several weeks ago, he talked about God's provision and how God will change the method of provision by challenging you to grow to another level of trusting in Him. So the one thing, you know, the food's dropping out of heaven. That's great. But when they got into the promised land, it didn't drop out of heaven anymore. They had to now go get it themselves because they now had to trust God would provide it by the ground that they tilled and by the, by the seed that they planted, that God would trust their efforts and add to their efforts. And here, these Pharisees are stuck back in those old ways. And they'll say, well, God gave a sign to Moses. Yeah, but it was a sign. It was intended to point to me. And the problem is, you're worshiping the sign. You're trying to hold on to the sign of the manna And the sign points to the true manna that gives true life. Because that bread didn't satisfy you eternally. But look what he goes on to say. Verse 33, And they answered and said, Well, Lord, give us this bread always. And they're still thinking of physical bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. See, they wanted a sign, but he's standing there, and they still didn't believe. Because if you're going to, if you base your security on what you experience, if you base your security on the signs and the things that you experience, then you will blind yourself to the real. Because what you're looking for is what you'll be tempted to see. I've run into people from church. This has happened to me before. And they're used to seeing me dressed like this. I guess they think I wear a suit all day. I sleep in a suit. You know, take a shower in a suit. I just live in a suit. You know. And they've seen me out in shorts or something like that. It's like, oh, it's you. And, and I've even had people start to walk by me, and I've wait a minute, because they're not expecting to see me there in dress like that. And if you're not expecting it, you tend to go right by it and miss it. And when you're expecting God through miracles, when you're expecting God through signs and wonders, when the real showed up, they couldn't see him. Because he didn't meet their expectation. And this is the whole point. When we have what we expect, when we have what we want, when we have the way we want it to happen, we've blinded ourselves to the real that God wants to reveal to us. We've got to let God bring himself to us the way he knows to bring himself to us. Because he knows us and he knows what will stick 
and he knows what will work, and he knows what will last in the shaking, and it ultimately comes down to simply this, trusting in him without anything else. I don't need the signs. I don't need the wonders. I don't need to understand. They're wonderful, and I can believe God for them, but my confidence and my foundation is not based on those things. It's based on trusting who he is as he's revealed himself. We'll just finish this thought, and then we'll close. Verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me, and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me comes to me, and the one who comes to me I will no man's means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but raise him up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of God, Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is saying, here's the Father's will for the foundation of our life. It's seeing, but it's believing. Two ditches. We're going to look at the next ditch, ditch next week. But this ditch is that the Jews required, I've got to see something. I've got to see God working here. I've got to see this sign. I've got to see God do something for me. Prove yourself to me. Before I received Christ, I would be so frustrated because I was saying, God, prove it. Prove yourself to me. Why didn't you come off that cross? See, that's they walked past the cross. The religious people say, he don't, he, you said you're the Son of God, then come down off that cross. If he had done that, we'd all be in hell. If he had given a sign that, we, that they wanted, they had no idea of God's purpose in doing it the way God wanted to do it. He was not on that cross to prove who he was at all. So if he'd come off that cross because they told him that's what would cause them to believe, two things would have happened. First of all, we would all be in hell because he wouldn't have done the Father's will. The second thing, they still wouldn't have believed. Because you understand this? The Bible says after he was raised from the dead, he appeared to over 500 people. I mean, the man's been crucified. They saw him crucified. They saw him beaten. They saw him die. And he's walking around Jerusalem for 40 day, about 40, 50 days with holes in his hands and his feet, scars on his head, a hole in his side, just appearing in rooms, walking through doors. I mean, if you're talking about a sign, 500 people. And on the day he ascended, only a little over a hundred showed up. Because seeing is not believing. And it's an act of our will to say, I'm going to base my walk with God, my life with God, I'm going to base my life not on things I see or don't see. When they happen, that's wonderful, and we can exercise our faith for them to happen, but my foundation's not in that. There was one statement in Job, and we're going to talk about Job next time a little bit. And it's, it's not a great statement of faith, but it's, it's, it's quoted sometimes. Even though you slay me, I will trust you. 
I may not understand it, but I'm going to trust you no matter what because of who you are, not because of what you do. The Jews seek a sign. The Greeks seek wisdom. We'll talk about wisdom and understanding next week.